Welcome to Packet Pushes Heavy Networking, where we cover a spectrum of issues in modern networking. Look, finding the balance between nerdy technology and the underlying business purpose is actually what we strive for here. And in today's sponsored show with Arcus Networks, we are focused on the recently launched virtualized distributed router solution. Now, let me have a go at describing this a bit for you so you can get a grip on what we're going to talk about today. Now, chassis-based switches have been around networking for a long time, and we did that so we could scale up the network port count. You know, we just, in the old days, we just couldn't put enough ports in a single box. But things have moved on. And because, and what's weird about this is, if you like, is that chassis products were never very good. We had an awful lot of them, but they actually didn't work very well. My experience with chassis switches varies from arcane hardware rules around line cards and central processing engines and memory modules and TCAMs, and I spent hundreds of hours understanding the internal architecture just so that I could correctly design the forwarding performance and know how to troubleshoot these things, right? And then the software experience was pretty well, mixed. And this this shouldn't be surprising to anybody who learned the internal complexity of the chassis architecture and the needs to synchronize everything. Every line card became intelligent, had its own software images, the CPUs, they all had to interwork and interlock. And it was but the last few years it's become increasingly clear that building Ethernet hardware networks out of one RU switches is a cost-effective and open design pattern. Mass production of these units for cloud providers and enterprises means that the unit cost of this standardized hardware architecture of like a 32-port, 100-gig switch means that the hardware is surprisingly cheap, which leaves a question of how do we scale? If I need more than 32 ports of 100-gig or you know, derived down to 50, 25, 10, I generally want to use an ECMP network architecture partly because that's identical to the way that chassis switches look, and we treat each of these individual switches as a line card. We can build an ECMP network, and it looks like a single logical entity. Well, that is exactly what Arcus Network's virtualized distributed routing product does. It does exactly that. It's software that runs on your preferred brand of switches that unifies the ECMP fabric into a single logical device. So in today's show, we are talking to Morali Gundlaru, Kia Patel and Nullan Pai from Arcus to get deeper into what virtualized distributed routing product is. So I hope you're going to join me and welcome to the show, gentle persons. I'm going to throw the first question to Morali. Morali, why do we need virtualized distributed routing? Thank you, Greg. Networking, as you just rightly pointed out, networking industry has gone through significant transformations and it's actually accelerating. You have a number of parts of the network where you now need an agility, uh, enhanced experiences, ability to grow with the business requirements as opposed to siloed infrastructure. All of the reasons that you articulated are exactly why across various points in the network where today you have Hmm. highly centralized, vertically built modular chassis platforms, whether it's in the campus core, whether it's in the backbone, whether it's in the metro edge, whether it's in the aggregation edge, or even the access points, you now have very, very rigid models that just cannot meet the needs of a modern network. And that's why the industry needs a completely new paradigm for routing with the VDR, Virtualized Distributed Router. The concept itself has been validated in the Amazons or or the big MSDCs of the world when you start to talk about the switching architectures, right? Mm -hmm. It's an absolutely new and beautiful concept when you bring it back into the routing architectures. That's important because this paradigm isn't like 
brand new. It's not this completely un idea that's just come from nowhere. It's actually a, a principle generally that has been validated in the largest networks in the world. And in a sense, you're bringing it to anybody who wants it in, in the market. That's exactly right. This has been this concept has been validated across, let's call it the big mm -hmm. hyperscalers. What is important now, this particular paradigm, there's an urgent need to democratize it and also combine it with what we call the power of one. And what that mm -hmm. is, is the ability to have a common architecture, a single architecture that is managed in a simple manner with a scalable hyperscalable even design right. and providing one seamless experience that connects your on-prem environments, your edge environments, and even extending those to the multi-cloud. So the ability okay. to have a software-defined model across the board helps. Okay, let's paint a physical picture first, because I think many of us that are listening are going to be thinking, so what you're actually building is an eCMP network. So leaf switches, spine switches, and we called those, the leaves are called uh, line cards and the spine switches become fabric cards. Uh, and then there's another pair of switches which act as a management network, and they connect to an x86 server, which is the control plane. And what actually happens is through this process of the control plane being abstracted away, you can synchronise the forwarding planes of all the switches in the ECMP. And that architecture, although it's made out of 1RU switches, you know, using standard merchant silicon, is actually the way a chassis works, Morali. That's exactly right. I mean, you highlighted how the, the analogy to the traditional chassis world, the line card is like a leaf. The fabric module, what I call the highway, uh, where oh. you're adding more band by adding more bandwidth, by adding more fabric cards is essentially the spine in this case. And then, mm -hmm. yes, there's a lot of internal communication that needs to happen for providing the seamless expansion of scale, especially important in a yeah. routing environment. Yeah, yeah. That is provided by this, uh, what we call the underlay connector. Yeah, and so the ECMP connections, where the, you know, the, the high-speed uplink ports between the leaves and the spines emulates what is the backplane inside of a chassis switch. Now, you're talking about scaling the network from 40 by 100 gigs to 768 terabits per second or 7,680 by 100 gig ports. Okay, that's a lot, right? <laughs> um, is that, like, really possible? Have you actually tested it at that yeah. Is that really possible? Yes. Can we do it? We are forced to do it. Why are we forced yeah. to do it? Because if you look at the router world and you start, if you step back and look at the router world and you start to deploy these white boxes, unless you do not have port aggregation put into the place, you're going to stack multiple control planes. And what you're mm -hmm. going to end up doing is tremendous amount of explosion in the control plane. Case in point, in the routing world, you run ISIS or OSPF or IGPs. Can you imagine mm -hmm. running a SPF or a Dijkstra on 10 nodes versus, um, I don't know, 100,000 nodes to 200,000 mm -hmm. nodes? And that is why abstracting the control plane out and emulating this fixed form factor boxes to run as a chassis is a must. Now okay. the question comes, if you're going to do it, might as well do it right, which means put in a right amount of scale at a respectable convergence level, get in a product that has a good HS story to it, an absolutely uh, well-done orchestration, and then scale it out massively to your point. Can you do it? Yes. It's right. the function of hardware, and then it's a function of system software as to how you design that software to sort of work around that hardware. Does that make sense? 
Yes, I think so. I think what you're saying in a way is that you're actually saying that if I take the control plane and put it in an x86 server, I've got an, a very large amount of RAM and CPU to be able to do compute. And then I can decide what part of this thing I can put into the tables of the routers. Because I don't need a TCAM in my router with a million entries. For most routers, I'd need a subset of those entries. And your control plane is actually making that for me. In fact, this is what chassis switches do too as well. Exactly. So this is effectively going back to one OS one architecture. If you drop that router, and if you look at a pop router today, you probably are looking at a port densities anywhere between 160 to 300, 400, 500 uh, mm. ports of 100 gigs, 10 gigs, 25 gigs, name your choice, right? It is a sweet mm. spot, a spot in terms of port densities. Now, what it yeah. means is you're going to have BGP peering happening over those ports, and you're going to aggregate routing tables. You may not install the entire table on a given line card, but the control plane is going to explode to millions of routes. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. going back to what we did very well in chassis was to have um, hundreds and thousands of control plane sessions, be it BGP or maybe hundreds of yeah. ISIS sessions. And then you have this route convergence problem where you try to solve it. And therein comes the aspect of scalable architecture as to how you do that at a much faster speed with an excellent HS story so that yeah. if one protocol fails, the entire box is not affected, so forth and so on. So the big design change here, we've said it, but I just want to make it very clear. We've got a centralized control plane. So I'm not peering, uh, like if I'm building out a BGP fabric with lots and lots of BGP sessions going between leaves and spines, I've got, what, one session into the fabric or something like that. And then that one session is computing and programming forwarding tables for each of the switches that are out there, um, putting in the entries that are required, rather than each switch running BGP, doing convergence on its own, and then, then populating its own forwarding tables. That is correct. Although a subtle distinction, you brought up an excellent point, Ethan. In a pod, when you run a control plane on a server, you can get away with that one BGP process and one BGP session. Yeah. On a mm. pop router, when you run that control plane on route processor or whatever we end up calling, you have one process that actually peers with different pop routers, hop by hop, maybe single point peering, and that peering could result into hundreds or maybe thousands of peers, right? And the same yeah, yeah. peering has to be emulated now onto a VDR-like platform where the control plane can scale and the function of scale is directly proportional to number of ports you support or a operator can deploy at any given point. That may be hundreds of 100 gig ports or thousands of 100 gig ports, depending on yeah. where the placement of the router is in the network. The original question was, can you really kind of scale up to, you know, 7,000 odd ports, right? Just want to kind of touch back on the on the whole point of offloading the control plane off to a mm. server, right? You know, I think I think the fundamental difference here is that we are no longer restricted by the form factor of a traditional route processor in a chassis, right? Yes. It's just going to be yeah. limited by the size of a slot, right? The number of cores you can put into it, the number of yep. memory chips you can put into it, right? So, mm -hmm. so that's one point. But then you need software to be able to take advantage 
of a powerful x86 server, right? So that kind of goes back to some of the, I mean, if you, if you remember KO, some of the discussions we had right in the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. As to, you know, uh, how do you kind of uh, build ArcOS to kind of take advantage of such resources yeah. when you get it? And that's an excellent point because what we ended up doing and what our customers in the routing world tell us is if you look at VPN services or if you look at internet table, Greg, Ethan, you know this very well, that the table sizes are growing 30% year over year depending on where the network location is or position is or what kind of network it is. And um, if you start looking at the growth, what it means is in a chassis, if you have deployed RPs um, to Nullins Point, um, if you look at that RP seven years from now, the kind yeah. of growth you are hitting is massive and it's uncontrollable and it's unmanageable, frankly, on a old yeah. seven-year-old processor that you can now easily swap out yeah. and replace it yeah. with a server. That's one thing. I'm thinking the back to my is, old... I, yes. I was thinking, I'm thinking back to my old Catalyst 6500 days, bless its little woolen socks, um, when, you know, every time I turned around and wanted to add something in, I had to upgrade the processor slot, right, the the, the, the switching card in the management engine. It was all on one, and that and, required a fully yeah. damaging, destructive, take the switch down, reboot, you know, put the new one in, boot the image, fingers crossed, and then you'd find out that some of the line cards weren't compatible or the buses were, you know, just whatever, Whereas your approach is saying, just use an x86 server to run the complex part, which is yes. has always been the software. That's not to say the hardware's not yes. complex, but in 2020, a one IU switch running a Broadcom Jericho 2 is well understood. It's a common yes. standardized sort of thing, and you can buy it from any one of the of the menu, you know, from a wide range of of suppliers. So I think that the world's changed a little bit to change how we visualize these problems. And I'll make two points to that: that uh, uh, merchant silicon will only get better in terms of speeds and feeds and port densities that they will pack. It then needs to be complemented by a good scalable system software. That's the point number one. And the second thing is, Greg, at Mm. least the CAT 6K had reasonable amount of software stability. Whatever we call that reasonable is when we compare against open source platforms or softwares or the routing um, packages. Can you imagine deploying this with an open source uh, routing software and you're forced to scale it up to thousands of sessions with 30% year-over-year growth, and who is going to come and address this to make sure that it's a big core or edge router? That's the problem we are fundamentally after. So what we're fundamentally doing here... And and, and I'll just make this one last point, as in whether or not we use open source or or a closed-source software, what is needed is a software that can fundamentally scale. And the question is... Can you do that with a software base that is made available to you? And do you have an expertise to scale it out? Mm, mm. So just a reminder that what we're talking about here is we're building a single router, IP router, that uh, has seven, over 7,000 ports of 100 gigabit Ethernet, at least, right, using standard off-the-shelf components today. That's just, just to remind you, that's what we're building here. And it would appear to the network as a single routing unit even though it's made out of a number of disaggregated components. So just a reminder that that's what we're talking about. And if you want to see the model 
of the 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 how the components are put together go to the blog post associated with this there's a really good graphic there where it sort of describes the ecmp fabric with the management um network and the x86 which might make more sense um because that's how you it's pretty standard for this sort of thing but if you're not familiar with it you might not know i want to transition into the if i've got this single points of control do I simplify the, the provisioning and management of this network? Are we starting to talk about uh, another pane of glass for visibility and management? That's exactly right. There's an important change that has happened across the networking paradigm in general, and that is fundamentally what is uh, at play here, even in the router market, which is that as you scale beyond the physical constraints of a chassis, you still want to keep and enhance, provide a superior operational simplicity, wider visibility, and deeper, deeper and wider, because this is a a spine leaf Mm. model. So deeper and wider visibility while doing that, which is completely not possible in a traditional chassis, because you don't know what's happening in the back plane when the line card and the fabric model is very, very opaque. We all know the problems Mm. around that environment. By the way, it's not just about the point that you know we can scale up to or beyond 7,680 ports of, of 100 gig. It's also the ability to do it in an elastic manner. You grow from one leaf, two, mm-hmm. four, eight, whatever. So you can grow as your business requirements yes. while providing the same operational simplicity and deeper and wider visibility. And that's the single pane. Of glass uh, yeah I, that blew me away when you said that you know it's, it's that two start with two switches go to 30 odd or something it's just yes. so morally what, what am i actually running on a leaf switch um is it a full-blown arc os or is it more like an agent if you look at a traditional chassis we have a notion of a line card and we have a notion of an rp and then you have a line card software and then you have an RP software. And then somewhere in there is a fabric card also, but we never get to see there's that software, right? It's all internal, if you will. It's an uh, underlay network. On the leaf features here, you will see a software um, image. It's all containerized, first of all. Um, we have um, completely automated image uh, upgrade process and deployment process through Kubernetes uh, of the world. Um, you see a very thin stack of line card image, which is mm. there to do purpose-built stuff, things like how do you program an ASIC? How do you bring up an ASIC? How do you do mm. smart telemetry? How do you stream stuff out, program stuff in at a very high level? And then how do you absolutely only run those protocols that needed to be run on line card? Case in point, LSCP or PFD. Yeah. Things that have, have to function at very low latency to do what they do. Yeah. 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 But it's it's a containerized uh, operating system. And so we're just running the containers that we need so that the line card, well, it's a switch, but we're calling it a line card in this virtualized distributed router context. Uh, so it can do what it needs to do, uh, be interfaced with uh, by the controller. And then as you just itemized, do all of the forwarding and programming and then the on-box things that must be done. So it's not going to look like an agent as such. It's still going to look like ArcOS, but it's not the same as uh, a switch just running ArcOS natively with all the routing daemons and such. It's just a different mix of services. 
Precisely. And for this purpose of conversation, we, we could use the term switch, but it is essentially running a Jericho 2 chip, which has deep packet buffers, full routing tables. So essentially a router chip, if you will, inside a switch. And at a high level, if we step back, it's one big image that is given to a operator who when unfolds it or unwinds it, it automatically, uh, without operator requiring to do anything, figures out what image resides on a server, what should reside on a leaf, what should reside on a spine, what should reside on the underlay network, so forth and so on. I just want to kind of add on to the point that you made about running specific line card services. I mean, if you see, it's uh, even on a fixed form standalone switch that we that we today support, right? If, if you see, because of our uh, you know decomposed containerized architecture, it's really the same software that would also run on your fixed form standalone. Just that here, we have broken mm. it up and we run that part on the line cards, right? So that way, the architecture yeah. is not that much different. It's still the same software bits; they just go in different places. Yeah. Absolutely. And for people who don't know, Arcos is the operating system that. Uh, has been in the market for four years now. We had you on the show about four years ago when you launched, and the pedigree behind the operating system is is well is established at this point. So if you've not heard of Arcus and Arcos before, um, know that it's sort of an operating system targeting the higher end of the market for scalability and for cloud providers. Is that fair? Absolutely. So if I may bring a customer angle to this, this is exactly the reason why one of the biggest tier one communication service provider in the world came to us and said, look, ArcOS is proven in the market. We've heard about it. We love it in our tests. We would like you to help us solve a big problem that we are facing as far as our routers and our big vertically integrated chassis-based platforms. Those right. Every time we run out of slots on our chassis, I, we have to spend a fortune to buy a brand new <laughs> chassis from the incumbent that we are using. And on mm. top of that, there is a traditional approach of even vertically scaling your services that you run. I mean, you have a dedicated chassis for a particular service, maybe VPN services, another dedicated chassis for core peering services, another one for edge services. And that is limited scale, monolithic, and opaque because as i've told you before like the chassis yeah. themselves do not provide enough visibility and that's why this customer came to us and said you have a composable microservices based architecture how can we horizontally auto scale this is very interesting if i could jump in and make a point here to mm. what murli said ethan craig a lot of these service providers have deployed their access nodes in a manner that if you have a layer two services being deployed, you know, you have a notion of small pops, you have a notion of big pops, you aggregate the traffic from small mm -hmm. to big pop. The big pop is not geographically located. What it ends up doing as 5G and other killer technologies come around is that it creates more and more network tromboning effect what they call yeah, as yeah. suboptimal routing, because yeah, these chassis aren't designed to do any port, any The chassis is over here doing DSL termination. There's another one over here doing exactly you know, 3G PPP or you know 5G routing. There's another one over here doing segment routing in PLS. It really should all be just in one thing. And to Murli's um, point, now you can move those leaf switches 
that Murli was alluding to with onesie, twosie leaves and mm. spines, which was effectively a chassis box, but now will not consume that much space or power into those small pops and be able yeah. to perform any port, any services with one OS, one architecture. That's so what, what you're was- saying there is the, let me try and read that back to you. You're saying that if I was to, let's say I was a 5G network provider and if I was to select the VDR routing platform, I could use the same software in my smallest pop with two switches in it as I could be in my core network with 30 switches, you know, and giving me 900 gig ports of routing. That's exactly right. Depending upon how and when they would like to scale out their infrastructure, they have that flexibility. Fundamentally, you're moving away from the old monolithic. I'm moving away from the three slot, six shot, nine slot, 18 slot. I've just got one IU boxes. I stack them up and then the control planes just keep, and I can scale up the control planes too, I guess, because they're x86 servers. I can just keep increasing their capacity as and when I need it. One of the things that I wanted to to discuss is you're also talking about visibility. Now, we did a show a while back talking about ArcIQ, which is your deep visibility, uh, which is your analytics engine for this. And I see that you're using this here so that I can actually monitor the fabric itself. Is that right? That's right. ArcIQ, just as a quick recap, is a deep visibility and analytics platform that we announced and have been shipping for about a year now. And the reason why customers have found that very, very powerful is because ArcIQ brings what is fundamentally missing in this environment especially. By providing modern API hooks from the systems and connecting scalable streaming telemetry from those systems out into this infrastructure software platform, essentially now you not only have a lot of visible, a lot more visibility, you also have a historical record, almost like a DVR, where you can go back in time and see exactly what kind of spikes, what kind of issues with various physical components, software components, and even make make cognitive insights based on those as well in advance of a problem, which you couldn't do with the chatsy. Streaming telemetry off the boxes, off of these chips, I'm, I'm going to assume is a part of it. I'm going to make a speculation here. Yang models, you're streaming to standardized models that can be absorbed. And then uh, is ArcIQ handling all of that data for me to give me the presentation of the data? Uh, or am I kind of rolling my own dashboards, making my own thing? Or is it some combo of the two? No, it, it it's a full system. It's a platform. Yep. And the idea is that it should be able to collect the data for you. We will provide you apps. Um, if you think as a customer or an operator, you need an app that you need desperately upon, you can build on top of it because it provides you with APIs. You can keep those apps for your own self. It's not an open source platform. That, that way you do not have to give your IP back to us or put it out into um, open source environment. But what it effectively does, Ethan, if you open up a chassis, it's basically an overlay to which your front panel ports connect to. And then you have an underlay which you have no idea about. When you connect cables to this chassis or routers, a lot of times you hit gray failures, but you have no idea whether the gray failures are internal or external. We want to be able to stream that level of data out, as Murli was alluding to, case in point, Mm -hmm. interface stats, anything else that you may refer to, let ArcIQ collect it and then provide you with intelligent apps that can help you explain 
what that or interpret what that data means and should you like to do it by yourself you're more than welcome to do it because the api is allowed you to do it so so just to give me a, a stronger example here's a, a little bit from the past that you can expand on uh, in my past i had a chassis with a gray failure it was very exciting it was an optic <laughs> that was not passing traffic now and again it was Ethan, just thrown frames we, on the floor we all had chassis with gray failures don't feel special <laughs> yes we did <laughs> yeah yeah this was very common. This optic yeah. was buried in an ether channel bundle, and for that reason, it was kind of obfuscated from us. We didn't really realize what it was until we dug in and eventually found it. How does ArcIQ get out in front of that problem for me so that I'm not chasing it down for weeks before I finally figure out what it is? You are streaming out in advance constantly the information not only related to the optics example that you gave, the cables, but also where you had in an opaque backplane Inside the backplane, there's a whole bunch of things that you had no idea into any point of time, any failure happens. There's a reason why with every chassis-based platform contract or an op- uh, or a deployment, uh, the big incumbents also tag on a massive professional services engagement. Because when these kind of problems happen, these professional services teams end up coming and ha- trying to debug and triage these problems. And that is exactly the kind of operational set of cha- uh, costs and issues that are com- are wiped out with this kind of a, a, a an approach architectural approach well mm. archiq needs to be a visibility layer in the sense that i'm not dealing with network element management so much like I did back in the day, managing individual switches and monitoring them and pulling certain SNMP OIDs to tell me things I think I want to know. Now I've got this one gigantic virtual distributed router, and I have to have some kind of a management system that can look at that thing holistically, but also individually way down to the port and device and sub-device level to tell me what's going on. I'm not going to have any way to know what's going going wrong at all i've got to have something that can do this for me exactly and and in this world where process automation and elements of seamless scale and also historical records are critical as it and ot teams converge this is really 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 a massive leg up on the existing uh, traditional legacy architectures and ethan and greg we want to do all these things uh with uh <laughs> providing a model which we do json based today where we are more than happy to give those models away to our customers if they want to have their own platform yeah. or want to expand it and as and when these models get standardized at ietf and other standards bodies we want to be able to quickly transition the difference to the standardized models so that there is no additional cost that our operators have to incur otherwise, yeah? Yeah. I guess I want to switch the discussion over now to focus on operational simplicity or the day two part. We sort of talked a lot about the day zero, day one, why you would buy it and the advantages of deploying it. So if you're upfront and if you're convinced perhaps of what we've talked about here of building that sort of router from a company that's got a pedigree of delivering these solutions at scale, and you can talk to Arcus about why that claim might be valid. But If I've only got a single point of control and management like a chassis does, that's an advantage in the sense that I've only got a single point of control, but I also need to operate it using more than before because, you know, we talked about the optics thing. You've got to present all that data to me. Have I got that sort of operational flexibility? Absolutely. In fact, um, the architecture has been 
built in with the specific one of the key specific goal, uh, goals is operational maximum operational flexibility mm-hmm. and providing this through standards presenting this through standards based models that easily integrate into workflow frameworks provisioning frameworks all of the big ones that you are that cus- uh, operators and devops environments are very familiar with ansible mm. you know terraform all of these kinds of frameworks are easily integratable into this and also want to point out one more thing we fully recognize that vdr has to exist in an existing framework it's not like the customers are going to rip out all of their existing product lines yeah, and routers yeah. there right and so it yeah. has to fit into an existing operational mindset no the, any alternative that is offered will not be palatable to the customer and yeah. so that's okay. why yeah. it's important yeah. for us to build an operational yeah. simplicity <laughs> that integrates with it what he's actually saying there ethan is that some vendors only support yang and some only support netconf and he <laughs> actually, actually supports them all in. but he's being very nice about it he's doing very nice about it and i do i do want to drill into the ansible and terraform specifically for a moment so uh, ansible needs some kind of an interface that the play the playbook and the process and so on can talk to uh, terraform needs a provider who who are maintaining those modules for ansible and terraform is that uh, something you folks are providing you working with red hat or hashicorp or or how's that working? Uh, yes, we will maintain all of these uh, playbooks. We are, I mean, uh, already um, HashiCorp is already a partner of Arcus. Um, as a part of the announcement, um, we which we did uh, um, a few weeks ago, we also uh, for the multi, not just for this, but also for the multi-cloud networking um, solution as well. They be, they are a esteemed partner of ours, but we will be maintaining. those modules that are specific to this virtualized distributed router environment because our goal ultimately is to help our customers operationalize this instantaneously and at scale yeah that's a, that's a big commitment mm-hmm. from arcus because sometimes these modules are community contributed and you're just kind of relying on the open source community to keep up with them and make them work but if arcus is committed to them that's kind of a big deal because this is a sort of a thing with enough complexity that you're going to want Uh, someone dedicated to maintaining these interfaces you can rely on the tools to have access to all of the capabilities so we wouldn't boil the entire ocean but in something as critical as this ethan if you are a msdc or a dc who's buying more than few hundreds of switches every year and are looking to operationalize you know a product like arcus whether in data center or at the pop edge um as pops are exploding taking the code from open source community is fine but someone yeah. will need to work through that to say hey the code itself is respectable to the point that you can manage some of these things and mm. so yeah the areas where you we need to do this we are forced to go into this areas and provide the support that we want to because like murli said at the end of the day we want to make our customers successful Right. Well, another question here is what are you actually building when you throw an ansible playbook at a vdr and i asked that in this context a lot of times you're taking a fixed configuration of leaf and spine switches and building out some sort of a layer 3 fabric there's a lot of peering maybe you're adding evpn to it for layer 2 virtual networks but that's not what this product actually is ultimately when you get it built it's kind of one big thing so what 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 is ansible or terraform actually even building is it's not building a bgp evpn fabric is it 
So in particularly the terraforms are used particularly on the cloud side of the world for us. Okay. If you look at VDR more specifically, typically if we are going into an existing network, a customer is going to give us a config file and say help us translate it into mm. arcus configs or how do we go about expanding this portion of config as we add more services or as we go pay as you go model and we help do some of this kind of functionality and then help and work with customer on an ongoing basis to say why well, you've got a network of you know a few thousands of nodes um, that translates into for example hundreds of routers and that translates into blah here is how the configs look like and every time you have a downtime where you want to configure customer here is how you do it through the scripts or something <laughs> analogous Zach, give a good view of what we start with and where we want to end up VDR becomes the platform you can lay a customer's service needs on top of, and you will help them get the Ansible playbooks to where they need to be in order to deliver those services, knowing that, yeah, it's a different sort of a platform than maybe uh, maybe have been required before. So particularly in your, your the niche of those service providers, they may have needs that are different from each other and then again from enterprises. Yeah, that's exactly right. Data centers, what you're going to see on the router side of the world is a little bit more of a flux in sense that you would change configs a lot often as you have customers that come and go, you know? Mm. I, I think the, the strategic piece here too, Ethan, is that Arcus is still willing to be flexible and to change to meet your needs. So they have a specific product that's designed to be flexible, whereas some of the other router vendors are much more rigid in their approaches. They produce the software there you go. I hope you like it. And you can use any of the features that we give you, but you know, if you want to request a feature, you get one chance at buying time and you might have to wait two years for that feature to go through the cycle. Whereas somebody like Arcus, which is a much more nimbler, much more modern company, got a much more modern approach to software development, can, you know, can get a change out. So if you want your Terraform playbook to do uh, you you ring up Morali and you say, Morali, buddy. Put this in, and he'll go. I th- let me see what we can do. You know, is that right, yeah. Morali? That's right. Nailed it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, it's just a way. It's just the difference between you know the the sort of closed bulk mass market type thing. You know, you can have any type of burger you like from McDonald's as long as it's on the menu. Whereas if you go to a restaurant which is producing you know good custom foods, you can choose what you want, and the cook will probably come out and thank you for giving him a challenge that he hasn't had before. Yes, uh, we've talked about the virtual distributed router in a context of large scale fabrics, and have made kind of a big deal about that. But you also mentioned you can start really small and then grow it big over time. So does that imply that there are other use cases ex- you know, besides huge number of ports and scale that you require? Is there a small use case for VDR where it makes sense? Absolutely. There are. I mean, the, the thing is you can, you can go into edge, especially edge pop environments, especially when you look at uh, what's happening with the 5G upgrades and also edge computing, the onset of edge computing environments, you're seeing a lot of router-centric pops proliferating. And this is a massively scale-out distributed uh, network. And so there are, when all of these edge environments start popping up, you obviously need some, some will be big chassis. Some You may need less than a four-slot equivalent chassis. You may just need a, a two or three um, slots required. But you need the, op, uh, the single point of management. In those places, you can easily deploy a VDR. And that's the beauty of this. You can start small, even one, 
and grow beyond that. And if you want to mix and match, you want to say, look, there is there is a, a edge pure the internet facing role that I want to replace with a VDR, um, and then below that, I want to plug in other kinds of uh, chipset based switching uh, related chipset environments like a micro data center. You can do that too because the beauty is it's one ArcOS that goes across switching, routing and distributed routing. So that's the beauty hmm. of this. So, so, so look, architecturally, I'm, the way the distribution is done, would I, and I, I think the answer is yes here, I would have separate VDRs that are geographically close together in, in the same data center or pop, let's say. I wouldn't do something like have something acting like a, a spine switch in one data center and then very far away have leaf switches. Or, or would I? I guess that's the question. No, you won't. Okay. And I was going to make another meta point. Uh, Murli explained why there are use cases. Look, gone are the days where our customers are going to buy a fixed form factor or a chassis-based box, drop it into a network and forget about it. Why? Because there are new applications coming. The pops are growing, like Morley said, and they're growing in, in a massive scale. And when you do that, not these days, customers ask for all sorts of stringent SLAs because the data that moves through that pop requires certain SLA mm. demands, and mm. they're aggressive. Mm. To satisfy that, you have all sorts of requirements from telemetry to deep analytics, whatnot, so forth and so on. And that means your processor requirements are only going to grow in time. And it's going to grow probably more or as much as the data that is moving through your network. This means you need to decouple this and have a refresh and have a pay-as-you-go model, right? And this is what we are after, decoupling the processors and the memories. And then writing software that scales out. I mean, Kiyor, you could have just said because 5G and drop the mic. You know, that would have been, that would have been fine. <laughs> I was thinking segment routing V6 and exactly. MPLS and, you know, carrier and, and just all that stuff that's going there on you in, go. The, in the There you go. Because one, it, but, hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And and they're going to get unified. You are going to have a programmable fabrics to your point, Greg, with, uh, with SRV6, so forth and so on. And, I mean, it's it's getting even more complex still. Because even in data centers, like private data centers, although we're sort of seeing uh, generally people are moving applications away from the data centers and not doing so much, there's still a need for an infinite amount of complexity because you're still supporting L2 networks in here. You're still doing technologies like EVPN. I can still MLAG to my servers using the VDR functionality. Yeah, I, I think um, a good way to summarize what I have seen so far is, for, or we have seen so far at Arcus with our customers, is our customers like the notion of packing ports. Our customers do want, um, you know, a, a, at, the, at the end of the day, chassis-like experience from manageability, management, and, and, and look and feel, or whatever that may be, right? So as long as we give that, uh, keeping in mind all these modern-day requirements of networks and disaggregating it in a manner that we have a really, really sleek architecture in play, which is pay-as-you-go model, doesn't care about what services you run, what kind of traffic you forward through, and you provide that in a holistic manner, that's mm. the solution for the future networks as we move ahead. Yeah, yeah. So, and, it's just, and what you're alluding to here is that the ability to scale complexity 
as much as scale ports yes hmm. and the customers because... are actually increasingly getting um used to the idea that yeah this may not be that bad i've been de- dealing like you said at the beginning <laughs> of the sessions i've had my share of problems with chassis this looks <laughs> like a good way yeah. to move forward kind of a thing right Yeah that's right. I mean I think chassis today I think we know that chassis are a product of their time. They were the only way forward and they are also very good business for the people who could make a chassis. Uh in the sense that you know you you get a lot of cash up front for all the metalwork and the fans you but as a customer you have to pay all that buy as many slots as you think you need. You don't know how many slots you need so you buy more. You burn power even though there's nothing there like you have to put the power supplies and the the supervised modules and all that sort of stuff until the day you use it up it's much more sensible if you can to you know one are you here one are you here put another spine in put another leaf in scale up the control plane cluster as you need to you know so on and so forth i think um, exactly it, yeah. in fact gone are the days when you had to break open a side wall of your site to actually roll in a massive uh, chassis in and that is actually something that happened i know it <laughs> so they had there were cases where you had to break open the side walls because the site was already built yeah. even the rumor on uh, on the street is these days with advent of 5g you might have to break down the entire floor to get a chassis in you know <laughs> that doesn't make sense that well with the way that 5g's going it's probably going to be a bunch of cabinets on the side of the street for some of them at least and others are going to be at various different sizes i've got two more questions as we reach the end of today's show one is what is the arcos licensing model if i'm going to buy this do i have to pay for it up front do i get a flexible model what's that look like absolutely the arcos licensing model is very flexible it kind of ties into the fundamental premise and the goal that we wanted to achieve not just with vdr but across the board that we are providing software for some customers who want the perpetual model we support that some people customers have told us that they wanted an they want an ela complete site license we support that mm-hmm. um software as a subscription so we we are very very flexible from a consumption model and that is one of the key differentiators even with vdr <laughs> so i don't have to go to a training course just to learn about no, software absolutely no, not to, no. absolutely not <laughs> so, <laughs> the second thing i wanted to ask you about uh was we talked to, touched on the silicon here you're talking about using jericho 2 silicon at the moment which is a specific type of silicon it's heavier duty so you're talking about more forwarding capacity higher complexity and slightly higher cost this is the broadcom jericho 2 chipset what about new generations of silicon from other makers are you widening the support there actually the architecture takes into account um, that if we have to replace a cell based fabric um, with something mm-hmm. else there are new standards being worked upon inside ITF um, wherein some folks are looking at augmenting ISIS as a backplane fabric or some folks are looking at something called BGP mm-hmm. and doing crazy things with BGP but mm-hmm. essentially the architecture accounts for that having said that for now our soul focus has been on jericho 2 and right. if i may just add one thing there even from a 
current generation broadcom jericho to who have been a very great partner of uh, arcus you can actually it's been built to support the next generation of this same family as well so you okay, can actually right. mix and match that as well as they come down the pike the right. new offerings so, come from broadcom yes so you actually question. got visibility but we're not allowed to talk about them because it's secret so, but it's entirely, <laughs> exactly. it's entirely logical there'd be future versions of those chips. Absolutely. Okay. I mean, case in point, we could do something like this very easily with um, advanced version of Trident-based chipsets. Okay. So as we get towards the end of the show, I want to ask a question. There's a couple of other startups and other companies in this space doing this distributed router offerings, but I've got a sense that Arcus is a little bit different. Why don't you tell me what those differences are? ArcOS and all of Arcus's offerings has been focused on building first principles-based networking software. And that enables massively scalable and resilient solutions. And um, that is something that the alternate offerings just cannot provide because of limited scale and open source uh, solutions that they build their architectures on. To learn more, reach out to us offline. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting story because there are distinct differences between the distributed routing systems that are out there and understanding those would be key to making, you know, choosing that solution. So on that note, gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been wonderful to have you and I really appreciate your passion and the way it comes through. You people really um, really involved with this product. It's not You're not just a product manager. You're actually doing this every single day. So thanks, Morali, Kia, and Nalin for joining us and telling us a little bit more. If people want to find out more, they can go to arcus.com. That's A-R-R-C-U-S.com. There's a whole bunch of good stuff talking about this and in particular, there's a bunch of white papers around the VDR product, virtualized distributed routing functionality. And don't forget, if you want to understand more about Arcos and ArcIQ and the other products, we've also done shows on those with Arcus over the last three or four years. There are podcasts in our archive that you can get a lot more information from. Don't forget you can find us uh, along with a range of other podcasts on our website at packetpushes.net. We're available on all of the socials. Twitter is at packetpushes and we're on the LinkedIn. Uh, And if you could leave a review on your favourite podcast client, that would be so helpful. Give us five stars. It helps us to keep going and other people to find us. And last but never least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.